Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Dean. You know, I was, um, I arrived a little bit earlier. I just love to be up here and begin to worship and open my heart to the Lord. And I know that some of you do the same thing. And um, I couldn't help noticing when I was doing that as people were coming in, trickling in, and then coming in in groups that this amazing thing began to happen. You know, community happens. Should be a bumper sticker, maybe. <laughs> community happens. It happens to the degree, however, that we're conscious of it. Uh, community happens to the degree that we recognize um, who we are. And community happens, it occurs to me, uh, finally, when there are no uh, impediments uh, hurdles, um, uh, issues that separate us from people, you know, and as Jim was praying, I know people who are going through devastating circumstances, and I know others I could point out who have had absolutely miraculous miracles happen, and uh, met some new people coming in this morning and was just gripped by the richness of the body of Christ. Uh, the body of Christ is Well, it's a supernatural um, phenomenon that could only be uh, brought about by the working of God in a person's life and then in the collective life uh, of a people when they gather uh, together. Ah, my glasses. Um, So we've been talking about for a number of weeks this notion of, of the life that we have in community. And this morning I want to talk about, well, it's sort of the the glue that holds community together, but it's, um, I think that's probably sufficient. What holds community together? Uh, And I think that um, although community is the richest experience that anyone could ever experience, a couple weeks ago I had played the song by Barbara Streisand, you know, People Who Need People are the luckiest people in the world. That little song just sort of kind of is on me. You know how you get little jingles in your head and you can't get rid of them? People who need people are the, the most fortunate people. The luckiest people, as the song says, in the world. Uh, and yet, uh, if we are honest, um, the matrix of interpersonal relationships that place where community happens can also be um, a painful experience. And what I mean by that is that uh, whereas we are created by God to be in community or to be in relationships, not just with a significant other person if you are married, uh, or the, the hope of being so if you're not, or the the grief of not being in one if you've lost a spouse. But you see, we're created for relationship uh, by God, and yet it's those relationships, if we're really honest, where we uh, have received our greatest wounds. Isn't that a paradox? I mean, we, we're created for relationships and to be in relationship, not just with nuclear family uh, or extended family, but with friends and people who are likewise um, drawn together around a specific purpose, in this case, the kingdom of God. So not only 
is it the greatest source of blessing, but it can create some of the greatest um, wounding in our lives. And if we're honest, not only have we been wounded by relationships, but we also inflict uh, wounds on other people. And that's sort of the the reality of the good news, bad news of community, I guess. We need it. We love it. It's rich. It's the most satisfying thing in the world, but it can be the source of uh, receiving pain and inflicting pain. Now, I say all that to say, to, to move us toward a point of um, understanding how to deal with pain when it happens in relationships, because that's really the glue that holds community together. And not only are people who need people the, the f- most fortunate ones uh, in life, but those who know how to um, remove the poison from pain, which has been created by relationships, uh, or um, releasing, helping others release that pain that perhaps we have inflicted. Well, let me sort of drop back and talk about this notion of community before I go much further because Christian community by definition is really a people who are very different. Um, you know the Bible calls us a peculiar people and uh, you know in our in our worst times we uh, look at the church and we could say all kinds of disparaging comments about it and the, the dysfunction of those those people. Uh, but in fact, Christian community by definition is made up of people who are different because God has so worked in their hearts that He has brought them into a place um, of uh, being different. Not trying to be different, but He's made us different. I've, I just, I've listed all oh, 10 or 12 things here. I just want to tag real quickly. Uh, community is... Uh, made up of people who have been born of the Spirit from above. We literally could park there for the next hour and talk about what that means. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit from above? John chapter 3. Uh, community, likewise, uh, is the... the uh, the group of people who have been given a new heart. Ezekiel, actually, Ezekiel 11. I'm going to give you references should you want to check it out later. But we've been given a new heart. You see, the Scripture says it's somehow in this new birth process of John chapter 3. Going back to the New Testament, Ezekiel 11 says that foreseeing that new covenant that God would make and work transformation in our heart, it says that God would take out of us the heart of stone and give to us a heart of flesh. Now those are biblical metaphors. Uh, the heart of stone talks about our hardness of heart. Our, you know, we just got to have it our way. Uh, and the heart of flesh isn't talking about the flesh as we use that word in the new covenant. It means that God would give us a sensitivity, a gentleness, an, an openness, an approachability, um, and a willingness to, to flex and be in relationship. So we're a new people. We're born of the Spirit. God's given us a new heart. Uh, and thirdly, I could mention that we have been actually made alive from the dead. You see, what I'm giving you some characteristics this morning to help you remember what you already know. 
that Ephesians chapter 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God has done something by the working of Jesus, by the finished work of the cross that you could never do for yourself. And what He has done is He has actually given us a new birth. Uh, He has created new life within us. And this life that He's given to us is actually uh, is likened to or illustrated by someone who is dead and who is now alive. You see, what I'm saying to you is, is what you already know is that you are different by a supernatural, mysterious working of God that He wrought something. He worked something in the fabric of your mind and in the fabric of your heart by giving your spirit new life. And that's what makes us different. That's why community is, has, a, has an intrinsic glue. It has the stuff that makes us want to be together because we, we all are experiencing to some measure like precious faith. So we're born of the Spirit. We've been given a new heart. We're made alive from the dead. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, it says we've been actually given a new nature. Now I can still tap into my old Adamic nature, the nature of Adam, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a person that God has said you are now new. What do you you mean I'm now new? Uh, You've been born of the Spirit. You have a new heart. Uh, You've been made alive from the dead. And you've been given a new nature. And therefore you are now a partaker of this divine nature according to those very precious and great promises that He has given to you. Now we're sort of moving the ball forward. It's when we understand who we are and realize our identity the community of the saints takes on a much richer and fuller uh, meaning to each one of us. Uh, you see, we've been, when, been giving, given this new uh, divine nature. That's actually who I am. I am a saint, even though I can still sin. Now, some people choose to identify with, I'm a sinner, because I still sometimes sin. And it might be slicing it a little too thinly, but the fact of the matter is, God says you're not who you were. You've been born again. You've been made alive from the dead. You are part of the invisible body of Christ. You've been given a new nature. And this new nature is such that makes you very different. And if you don't recognize some of what I'm beginning to just list for us by way of putting all of us in remembrance to that same degree, you will struggle with your identity, who you are, and therefore your place in the body of Christ. And every time you get a little whiplash or somebody you know, bristles you or says something crooked and hurts your feelings, you will tend to go, I'm out of here. Meaning, I'm going to withdraw or isolate myself from that most precious thing in life, which is the fellowship and community of people who are absolutely different. We are fifth columnists on the world, in the world, planted by God to be different and to demonstrate that to the people who are around us. How dare we lick our little wound and say, I'm not going to be around those people. We need to suck it up and repent. Okay, I'm preaching. Here's, here's the deal. 
Okay, we've been given a new identity. The Scripture calls, and if you want to look it up, 1 Peter chapter 2, we are a holy priesthood. A royal nation. There is something draped on you in the spirit realm that no eye can see. And it's the, it's the, the, the royal mantle of belonging to the king. That begins to impact how we see each other because it impacts how we see ourselves. Let me list a few more of these. These are fun. You see, God, God has actually not only given us a new identity, He's adopted us into a new family. Look around this morning. Now, some of you who are visiting, you might not know everybody, but there is something. I've been in, in groups of people in churches all over the world. And every time, whether they're black in Africa, whether they're red in Native America, regardless of racial lines, people who, who love Jesus and know Jesus, there's something intrinsically there because we belong to Him and we are in Him and therefore we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. Brothers from a different mother to be sure, but God has made us of the same spiritual substance. You see, we've been adopted into a family and we're now called sons and daughters. You're no longer an outcast. You're no longer an orphan. Well, I sure feel like one. That's the problem. We spend all of our time agreeing with our feelings instead of acting upon and agreeing with who we actually are. You see, now the Scripture says in Colossians chapter 1 that God Himself now has moved in and inhabited your spirit, your heart, if you will. God's made His home within you. If that doesn't make you different, I don't know what will. You see, we are people who are new. We are people who are different. New heart, new life from the dead. New nature, new identity, new family. The Spirit of God now lives within us. Philippians 3 says we now walk by a new power, the power of the resurrection. You know, once in a while I get in sort of the, we'll call them the molly grubs. You know what I'm saying? You just sort of get, oh gee whiz, life is a big kick in the, you know what, and, P, and nobody, and yibby, 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 until I begin to remember who I am. If you're in the molly grubs this morning, nobody likes me, Why my wife hurt me, my husband said, my boyfriend didn't, my job, well, ye, if, if that's where you are, I'm not saying there isn't pain in life, but I'm saying that there is a transcendent, uh, supernatural belonging that when we remember who we are, all of a sudden it doesn't matter so much what other people think. It doesn't matter so much the pain that I've experienced because I can now as a new person walking by the power of the resurrection, I can now deal with that in an effective way. You see, we've been set free from the power and the corruption of sin. Anybody drawing your sin around with you like a ball and chain this morning? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to raise your hand, but some of you are. Statistically, I understand that will be true. Some of you have just been stupid like I've been at times. Some of you have made mistakes. You've given into your flesh and you're carrying around this load of shame. Remember the song we started with? I'm trading in my 
sorrow. I'm trading in my shame. You don't have to carry that stuff around. Of course you failed. And yes, you might fail again in the future. But Jesus paid it all. Jesus has made the means by which your sin, the power of it and the corruption of it, He decisively and dramatically broke the power of it so you don't need to be shackled to it anymore. If you're carrying around a load of guilt, it's by your own making. Hello? (laughs) Okay, let's wrap this section up here. We have been now set free to walk in a new power. Uh, We've been set free by the power of the resurrection. We've been set free from our sin and our guilt and our shame. And we are now, what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. Now, even though all of this is absolutely and unequivocally true, And so much more, we could say. We could list the promises that God has made to us, even though all of that is is true, and so much more in Christ, still we hurt and we wound other people. And the question is, why? If we're different people, different community, belong to the family, our our identity is in Christ, a new creation, walking in the power of the resurrection, uh, why? Are we a people who continue to, well, act like we're old rather than live like we're new? Well, I'm going to illustrate this real fast. Um, if you, Jim, if you'll come up and bring your team. I think that's Wilbur and who else? And Monty. I'm going to ask you three to stand right here and look that way. Come on. It'll be real short. You don't have to say anything. Well, maybe I'll make you preach. There you go. Now, I've used this illustration before in another context about how to hear God. But this just represents a person's life. Those three entities represent one person, you and me. They are made up of Wilbur, who represents the body. Everybody say body. And Jimmy, who represents the the soul. And Monty, who represents the spirit. Now, the Scripture tells us that, and, and, and I know we can split this thing, and some people say, no, the spirit and the, and the, and the soul are, are really kind of together. That's two parts to a human being. It just sort of, this is really the easiest way to understand it. Theologically, I understand the difference, but it's real simple to make it clear when you recognize that I have a body, and that body interacts with the outside world. I see things, I touch things, I smell things, I experience things, I perceive things. The body is the means by which all of that happens. And the soul is the mind and the will and the emotions, I guess. It's that cognitive function. Now, you can't see that like you can the body. Wilbur combed his hair this morning and so did I. You see, that's body body function, but the soul is a little bit different. You you, you know, you... you (laughs) Well, you... (laughs) I knew they'd ham it up. <laughs> but, but yet the soul is an important... The, the mind is an important part of an individual's life. Now this is going somewhere because we forget often all of those 11 or 12 things I just... Our identity in Jesus because this little guy right here messes me up all the time. My mind or my emotions. Tell him, Wilbur. Now over, over here 
is the spirit. The spirit of a man, we're told, uh, we were dead. The body wasn't dead. The soul wasn't dead, but the spirit was shriveled up and died in the fall. So we're going to come over here and just kind of move, move you out. You're just kind of, you're dead. Until Jesus comes in, and then all of a sudden, you resume a vital and significant part of this, uh, this body of, of a human being. These guys are good, aren't they? You would think we practiced this. Now, the Scripture says, stay right there, I just want to look up this Scripture. The Scripture says in uh, Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, those who live according to the flesh, it's not just the body, but it's the combination of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. When It's the power of agreement. It's the power of two. If you can get two against three, the two, or two against one out of the three, the two are going to win. So when the mind teams up, no, he, you just, you, you, when the, the, the mind or the emotions, nobody loves me. You know, every time I get around so and so, she, he, you know, you, you, the mind that's set on the flesh, the scripture says is death. Now you're beginning to see where some of your problem is. Now I'm seeing where some of my problem is. Some of you have lived your life under the absolute rule and reign of your flesh, even though you're already new as a Christian. You live your life under the dictates of the flesh. The mind is in agreement with the flesh. we got all these bodily urges and we see things, we hear things, and the mind just keeps me in that cycle. Okay, But the Scripture goes on and it says, but the mind, yeah, keep him up there, uh, set upon the Spirit is life and peace. So, so see this juxtaposition between life and peace and death is all dependent upon this guy right here. Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now when you get agreement between the mind and the emotions with the Spirit in which the Spirit of Jesus lives. How'd I do? The Spirit of Jesus is now bearing witness with my spirit that I am the children, the sons and the daughters of God. And when the Spirit of God begins to speak to a man's spirit and his mind and his emotions agree with what God has said, there is power in that. Okay, gentlemen, thank you. We could go on forever. Let's give him a big hand. Huh? Now what I want you to see there is really learning the principle of two against one. And some of you are trying to fight a spiritual battle in the flesh. This is testimony. That doesn't work. I've tried it. I've tried sin management. You know, stop doing that. Don't think that. Don't look. Don't touch. Don't, 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 don't. And that never works. What works is to simply set your mind on the things of the Spirit. To begin to agree with God, the principle of two, the power of agreement, and all of a sudden those things that used to be a ball and chain around one's 
ankle begin to fall off and no longer have an influence in our lives. Because we are saints, though we can still set our mind upon the flesh and sin. You understand what we're saying? So, every day, no, more accurately, at least initially, every moment, it's a choice to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. When you get down, you need to make a choice. Who am I? What am I focusing on? Why am I feeling this way? There might be some good reasons to it, and we're going to look at some of those reasons as we sort of end here in just a couple of minutes. What we've looked at here this morning is that Christian community, by definition, is a supernatural experience where Jesus enters into our life. And then, secondly, what we've looked at is that there is still a capability of sin that's called the power of, of the flesh. We need, to take, um, we need to take our flesh, our mind, and make a shift. It's kind of the gate. It can go this way or it can go that way. We need to make a choice. The power um, of two against one. The power of agreement, if you will. And then thirdly, what I want to share is that we need to learn to take responsibility for our flesh. So even though I am a new, a new person, and um, my mind is often set on the things of the Spirit, notice how I'm wordsmithing, framing this, even though I am absolutely new, new identity, born of the Spirit, etc., I can still um, allow my mind to become set on the things of the flesh. Now remember, that's not who I am, but I still have that capability. And uh, what happens then when we, um, when we experience that? Well, we have to take responsibility for our flesh. Well, even though that's not who I am, I really am in Christ. I really am forgiven. I really am a saint. I really am filled with the Spirit. God inhabits me. Even though all of that is true, I'm a son, I'm a royal priest, all of that is true, even though uh, that is true, I can still fail in sin. And we can't negate that, so we have to take responsibility because that, Wilbur, if you will, uh, and Jimmy, that is still part of me. Though that's not me, I'm still responsible for how I walk and live and choose and make decisions. Uh, so, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to go there first. There are three skills, really two that will help us thrive in community. And I'm going to end as we move toward communion with just hitting these ever so quickly. Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 4, actually, verse 15 and 16, it says, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by every joint that supplies according to the effect of working by which every part uh, does its share and it causes growth of the body. And that's kind of convoluted Paul's way of saying that um, we can grow up as people, body, soul, and spirit. We can still grow up into Christ. And the way that happens is by uh, when we recognize there is interpersonal separation um, the biggest tip-off in my life 
is when I discover that I try to avoid certain people. Does that happen to you? You know, it's like, oh, here comes so-and-so. So, so what I'm showing you there is that God has given us a way. It's by these precious and very great promises that He has promised to deliver us into the full dimensions of the sons and the daughters of God. Uh, so that, um, Paul says the first thing in Ephesians 4.15 and following, speak the truth in love. If, uh, you know, if, if, if you're strained in an interpersonal relationship, the way to unstrain it is to learn how to speak truth in a loving way, in a respectful way, uh, in a um, responsible way, in a redemptive uh, fashion. See, speaking the truth in love is how we grow up into Him. It's how we grow. It's how I teach my soul and my body and my flesh that we're not going to do it your way anymore. We're going to do it according to the Spirit. And the Spirit speaking in the Word... The Spirit of God speaking by means of the Word says when you have something, you can go and speak that truth in a loving way to people. However, most of us have had a very negative experience of confrontation in any way. When you share something with somebody, they get huffy and they try to manipulate you with their anger. Anybody understand that one? You know, and you go, ooh, see if I do that again. Man, I just took my head off. So we learn how to disobey the Scriptures and therefore uh, we don't take responsibility uh, for our own flesh. And the second thing, it says, speak the truth in love. Truth is always held in tandem with love. And some of you have just done this. After Matty G uh, spoke last week about mass, some of you said, hey, I'm going to do this. And I say, praise Jesus. This is the way we get set free. Uh, we, we can we can begin to speak truth in a loving way, in a respectful way, in a responsible way, in a way that reconciles relationships. Why are we interested in reconciling relationships? Because we're, we're relatives. We're in Jesus. All those 12 things I mentioned at the first part, that's who we are. God is interested in relationships being mended. Take responsibility for your flesh by speaking the truth uh, in love, and I'll just mention, tag this tag item at the end, um, we are joined together when, when every joint supplies um, and, and every um, ligament does its part. Now that's a, a, an illustration of a physical body that says it doesn't matter whether you're a toe or an eye or a hand or a thumb, you have a valid and a critical part to play in the body of Christ which says you can't sidestep this issue and grow up into Christ. You will stay immature until you begin to walk in the power of the Spirit to obey God rather than obey your mind or your flesh. Second thing I'd mention as we move toward the end here uh, is um, if you're going to thrive in community, uh, when your brother sins against you, be responsible and confront him or her in love. I'm alluding to Matthew chapter 18. You see, I started by saying that that it's relationships where we have received our greatest wounds and uh, have inflicted uh, wounds on other people. 
God's given us a way to deal with that. And it's not by running. It's not by pretending. How are you? I'm fine. You know? No, you're not. Grow up into Jesus and obey Him. And you can do that if your brother sins against you. In uh, Matthew 18, um, go to that person and, and uh, take responsibility for your sin. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That doesn't say go to your neighbor and tell them about his fault between you and him alone. Hello? I won't point names out. But that's what I do sometimes in my immaturity. You see, when your brother sins, you go to him or to her and you take responsibility and confront them in a loving, respectful way in order to be reconciled. Now, value the relationship Speak the truth in a loving way, always seeking to be um, reconciled. That's always the goal. It's not to prove you're right or wrong. Fact of the matter, more than likely, both of you are wrong. That's been my experience anyway, to some degree. And I would finally simply say, when you go and speak the truth with a brother, um, focus on making I statements. I statements are like... um, I was hurt the other day rather than you statements, which would look like, you hurt me when? You see, it's an interpersonal skill that the Bible says if we learn it, we'll begin to thrive in community. We'll get along with people. We'll resolve our differences in such a way that pleases Christ and we'll walk by the Spirit to that degree. So make I statements. Take ownership and responsibility for yourself. So if your brother sins, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, seeking to be reconciled. If he hears you, the Scripture says you've won your brother. And you know it's being generic, brother or sister. Um, If he doesn't hear you, take another person, one or two other people, so that every word can be established. So there is a way in which this actually functions. And the final thing I'll mention uh, is from Matthew chapter 5, and it simply is take responsibility for what's yours and ask forgiveness. And this comes from Matthew chapter 5, Verses 23 and 24, it says, When you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that someone has something against you, just leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled uh, to them. Now, we don't have the time to go into all of what that means, but uh, I, I, I suspect it means when you come to worship, when you bring your gift, to the altar and there remember that somebody has something against you. Somebody has something against me. I wonder why so-and-so may have... I wonder if so-and-so... I wonder if Jerry over here, he's been acting a little strange toward me and it might just be my perception, but uh, I wonder if the other day when we were talking if what I said to him has offended him and is there now interpersonal distance? So if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that someone has something against you or could have something against you, you leave your gift and you go over there and you seek to be reconciled uh, to him. And if you're not sure, simply ask the question, are we okay? Is there any interpersonal stuff be- between us? Did I offend you the other day when we were talking by anything I said or I'm not even aware of? Sometimes we're aware of it and we don't want to deal with it, and sometimes we're not aware of it, but it just begins to... The Spirit of God will speak, and He will bring to your mind an understanding that 
something's not quite right, and that is your cue by the Spirit to deal with it. How do you deal with it? You take responsibility for what is yours, and you go and seek to ask forgiveness. And if in that discussion you go, yeah, you know, the other day we were talking, I felt like Jerry might say to me, I felt like you were just a little, um, you were short. Really? Oh man, I didn't, I didn't mean that, Jerry. It's not, I, you know, I was busy, there's a thousand things I could blame it on, but I was wrong. Notice the statement, I was wrong, I didn't mean to hurt you. Jerry, will you forgive me? Most of the time, this interpersonal principle of homeostasis, you know, that just means water seeks its own level. If you put it in a clear hose, it'll seek its own level. When you go, I, have, I don't think I've ever had a person say to me, no, I'm not going to forgive you. you you're just a... You know, read, me out, read me off and blow me out. I'm not saying it can't happen. But what I am saying is that when you go in a spirit of gentleness and humility and authenticity and seek to understand and then to um, be reconciled, water seeks its own level and it will always um, um, be a, more than often will always be a reconciled and a wonderful experience. So what I've said or tried to say this morning as we move toward our communion is that community is a gift from God and we must steward it the same way our body, our soul and our spirit, our, the whole matrix of our humanity is a gift from God and we must steward it. So identify places where you're not walking in who you are and begin to remember that. What would happen if we got up every day and started to speak those things that the Scripture said was true about who you are. I am a child of the King. All of a sudden my head goes back just a little bit more. I am loved by Him. I'm the apple of His eye. I'm His son. I belong to His family. I, my identity is in Jesus. It's not in whether I did this or didn't do that. My and all of a sudden we begin to see ourselves differently. And it occurs to me that Jesus on the night in which He was betrayed, He took the bread and He said, Oh, by the way, this is a, a, a dinner of remembrance. How important is it that we set our minds on who Jesus is and what He did for you personally? And to remind His disciples, the Scripture says, on that night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it. He said, this is My body. It's a metaphor. This is My body which is, has been given for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of Me. And after He had eaten with His disciples, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. My body and my blood poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because remembering is important. Because if you don't remember who you are, you'll just begin by default to slide back into the agreement of the soul with the flesh. And God says, no, my people are different. They're called by a new name. They're given a new heart. They have a new identity. They no longer have a heart of stone. 
Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word and for Your Spirit. We thank You, Lord, that You have given to us a feast of remembrance and it is open to all who are repentant for their sin. Thank You, God, that this is not a Presbyterian table. This is the table of Jesus where He calls His disciples to remember what He did for us. I'm going to ask our elders to come at this time. I'm going to ask you to hold these elements so that we might partake together. And Father, we pray now that you would set these common elements apart and that you would use them for your glory alone. In Jesus' name.